And now for something completely different, welcome to episode two, season two of This Spiritual Fix, where today we're going to be talking about co-creation, fey folk, fairies, nature spirits, and the like. Enjoy. This Spiritual Fix, Two Mystical Mamas Hacking the Self-Help Game with Anna Stromquist and Christina Wilson. Hi, Anna. Hey, Christina. (laughs) Y'all haven't heard me listen to Anna's amazing vocal (laughs) warm-up. And you won't. Oh man, it's um it's a beautiful rainy day here today and I am so excited that we are going to be talking about co-creation because we're in the midst of what I think of my co-creation paradise with all of nature and everything like that. But it was really interesting to hear you Anna cuz you at the same as the same time as I've been preparing for this co-creation episode, you have been having exposure to this other really interesting schism, which is like the intersectionality of Christian, like Christian creation, Christian philosophy and creation with environmentalism. So can you like, I feel like it's an amazing way to start off this episode where we're going to be talking about elementals and nature spirits and kind of bring it really home into like this Christian, this, this kind of Christian, how it actually environmentalism and Christianity are kind of not oppositional. I was reading Reverend Dr. Jared Longbond's essay or his dissertation, which was called Seeing the World as Creation, Christian Sources for an Environmentalist Age. And it kind of goes into the whole history of environmentalism and how it has to deal with Christianity. And even if you're not Christian, if you're living in the Western world, meaning Europe, United States, Latin America, you are in a large part exposed to Christian culture, whether you're Christian or not. So... I kind of want to just tell you a little bit about what I read. I yeah. I think it's fascinating. Yeah. So so in the Bible, you hear this story like, oh, man shall have dominion over the earth. And a lot of people might think, oh, dominion means domination. But actually, the root words of dominion means that man is a priest or steward to creation, that man has come on earth with some special gifts, some special consciousness that animals don't have and spirit guides don't have, or spirit, nature spirits don't have. Mm-hmm. And man is able to do things that other animals can't do. And we need to use those gifts wisely to protect and steward the earth. Mm-hmm. And with with it's something like the quote is something like with the birth of the horse's stirrup, the, the stirrup on the horse, as well as the plow, man began to have more of an abuse of power over the earth. With stirrup on the horse, they're able to ride the horse and and kind of control it. And then with the plow, letting to more aggressive types and even inhumane practices with tilling the earth and we can fast forward to today industrialization like the way that they keep cows and pigs in slaughterhouses is completely inhumane right. and um and the way that we kind of butcher the earth to yeah. get our crops is, is there's a lot of inhumane processes now more than ever with in- right this relates back to in a previous episode during the wounds, I talked about Ishmael and this book by Daniel Quinn, and he is all about this idea. He calls us 
he calls it totalitarian agriculture because it's like this idea that in order for us to survive, somebody else has to suffer. And it's like that there's they're the levers and the takers. You can get into the whole philosophy of it. But it's interesting you say that because the original he harkens back the original sin to the idea that we can no longer trust we can no longer trust the earth to take care of us. So we have to build houses to protect ourselves from Mother Nature that like keep out Mother Nature. And we also have to create plows and do agriculture because we don't trust the land to naturally give us what we need. So mm-hmm. it's like a totally flips that whole, we got civilized when we started farming and turns that on its head and say, actually, this particular signing, like this very dominant culture decided to kind of screw everybody else in order to be able to just survive itself. So mm-hmm. anyway, keep going. Well, apparently, if you want to go back in time, the church had a very like co-creative interdependent relationship with nature and animals and then in the enlightenment a lot of things changed the the french philosophers in the enlightenment really changed our perspective on man and nature rene descartes for example the 17th century philosopher from france said that i think therefore i am and and descartes was all about saying that spirit and mind is so much greater than the flesh And that consciousness, like if you want to imagine a hierarchy, consciousness is above the body and above the, like what is, what is seen is more important than what is unseen. And so the physical became less valued, meaning that man now became, now became like the pinnacle. If you want to call it like a pyramid hierarchy, man is now at the top because man has consciousness and man thinks, therefore man is the best. And if we want to go back in time, a great, like before Descartes, before the Enlightenment, was a 7th century saint and theologian named Maximus. And he contended that nature and the church are one and the same, that there is an interrelationship between spirit, body, seen and unseen. And like even the architecture of a, of a church is created to inter, like to have seen and unseen concepts. Like think of stained glass windows and things like that. Like there are there there's some mystery to a church mm-hmm. right i'm probably i'm not doing this justice but maximus's contemplation of nature is that nature is where everything is created and there is a dy- dynamic relationship between reciprocity and unity and what does that mean reciprocity and unity meaning humans give to the earth and the earth gives back gotcha. instead of instead of like i'm going to go and plant X amount of potatoes and the earth is going to give it to me. It's, right. it's more transactional. Just transactional. It's, like, it's more yeah. like I'm going to care for the earth and the earth is going to care for me. Right. And just to use that stained glass thing while you're saying that, it's almost like the stories that make up our lives can only be illuminated by existing in the world. Because like only if there's a sun is that stained glass window lit up enough to be able to tell us the stories of our faith. Right. And so even that is like, like just to use that, because I was like, while you were saying, I was like, oh, my God, you're right, because a stained glass window can't exist without a sun. Like it can't Mm -hmm. exist without being in the world. Like it can't just exist in our minds. Right. It has it represents the illumination of the stories of our faith from an outside from Mother Earth. Right. And the architect, yeah, the architect, like the church itself combines spirit, body, invisible, invisible aspects consciousness and nature is the same but as we when we went through the enlightenment it was more just like church and man is the best and earth and animals are below us and we're gonna fuck them up 
and be totalitarian about it. Mm -hmm. So in a nutshell, that's kind of like a history of our relationship with nature in the Western world. And the essay goes a lot into how we should really strive for this Maximus's Maximus's ideal relationship was just like unity, interdisciplinary. I'm calling it inter, interdisciplinary, intersectionality or interdynamic reciprocity. reciprocity relationship of give and take, of using our gifts to help the earth versus using our gifts to control the earth. Yep, yep. And yep. A, um, a great example of that. I think it's a great example. Other people might think it's a little bit out there, but when you get into the kind of um, kind of far out there farming in which you're trying to help restore the balance of of a field that for instance has a a locust problem (laughs) would be a great example like the massive locust swarm that exists in africa right now when you're trying to heal that imbalance you never ever use a controlling substance you never ever use a pesticide ever like you can't if if you're trying to do that on an energetic level you always have to find the other thing that balances out the imbalance as it occurred you can't just take away you can't just take away the locust because the locust only exists there to do it so it's like it's further proof that this whole idea of reciprocity and if you take care of the earth the earth will take care of you and not have a locust swarm you know uh, and if you take care of the climate if you take care of climate then you won't have crazy tornadoes or whatever crazy climate events um even though the sun has a lot to do with that but then you're gonna actually be taken care of like you take care of the earth and the earth takes care of you all right well that was my little synopsis how about we go into your co-creation yes all right cool so i am gonna take you through co-creation from my journey's perspective so this is a story of my journey through how i discovered co-creation um, Can you first define co-creation? I, of course, I'm going to define co-creation. <laughs> okay. So, so co-creation um, is kind of a blanket statement for an action, but <coughs> excuse me, it's a co-cre- co-creation is a blanket statement for a way of living in balance and harmony with nature. And I'm not just talking about like it, and it goes beyond. It's basically like it, it basically. Co-creation goes into the idea that nature has an intelligence that is not just inherent in like a seed. Like a seed has an intelligence to know what kind of plant it wants to grow. But the idea is that there are actually unseen forces, nature spirits, devas, all these different things that are actually guiding the growth and creation of the creation and destruction cycles that exist in all of nature. And I'm not just talking about like plant nature. I'm not just talking about like what we think of traditionally as mother nature. I'm talking about all of creation. Like every single thing that a human does that it creates is done is in the external world is basically created with the help of of this these unseen entities and forces that that basically assist us in creating whatever it is that we're going to create. So co-creation, the idea of co-creation is this whole idea that if if you're saying that nature is intelligent, then you need to address nature as an equal partner in anything that you create, right? 
So basically, like, uh, it's like partnering. Co-creation is, a, is about partnering and saying, okay, I know what I want to create, and you know how to create it the best nature. So I'm going to actually talk to you, and I'm going to converse with you, and I'm going to be like, oh, this is, this is why we're going we're gonna to be involved in this co-creation together, just like we're partners in a partnership entity, so to speak. You know, like, we're going to do this together, and I'm going to ask you because you're intelligent and you know things that I don't know about the land and about all these other things because you can see things in a way that I can't. Right. Yeah. So that's a longer version of it. But this is my journey through co-creation. Um, and it's it's really interesting because I think for me, I recognize that a lot of people here have probably never thought that a fairy is a real thing or have never thought that an elf or a gnome or a um, elemental of any sort are real right? Or they're just things that the Druids believe, you know, they're just like, they're these other things. So much in pop culture, we're seeing, um, we're seeing different takes on the fact that these things actually exist. There was a really great Netflix series called Cursed, which was all about King Arthur, um, kind of the predecessor of King Arthur. And she was a fae. And fae was, meaning fairy. Fae meaning one of the fae folk, one of the fairies, that's F-A-E. And, uh, she, for instance, you know, it was all about the slaughter of her people and all the different tribes that were all different types of fae and things like that. And so there's like, and then there's also a lot, um, St. Patrick's Day was recently, right? Um, not that recently, but uh, one of the things that they talk about was that St. Patrick basically exterminated the Druids. Um, that was like his legacy, right? And so we we celebrate this apparent holiday that is all about killing paganism in Britannia, right? Like in, in Ireland and that. all that kind of stuff, right? And so he, he got rid of the snakes, like whatever you want to call it. Like he drove the snakes out of England. They're basically, so what people do on St. Patrick's Day who are Druids or pagans is they're basically like, we are celebrating the fact that you did not exterminate us, right? Like it becomes a, a green celebration to say, guess what? You tried to kill us all off and we're not dead. And these beliefs are coming back and they're coming back stronger than ever. And um, you can go on Fay Talk and you can go on all these different things on TikTok to be able to see all these people who believe these things and are just like, you didn't kill me. You didn't kill the witches. You didn't kill the Fae. You didn't kill any of this. You tried to exterminate us with your beliefs of Christianity and you can't. So my journey begins with me reading a book called The Secret Life of Plants by Tompkins and Bird. And Luke my husband had this book when we first met and he lent it to me and it literally changed my life. And I always, I have the copy of that same, his copy is in our house right now because I say that like, as long as we have this book, our relationship is, I like, it's like a talisman of our relationship. Oh I can't, my gosh. I <laughs> love it's it. It's like such an important book to me. But this book talks about a lot of different things. And one of the things that it talks about is how plants have what they call primal consciousness, which is this idea that like, if you've ever seen, ever heard about how when you cut into a, a plant, it screams mm -hmm. or when you're, if you're, if you're aware of those things and you go to a field that's being harvested, it's screaming. Like I've heard it. It's horrible. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of this idea that, that not only that, but your house plants know that you are their caretaker and if you want to communicate with them, you can communicate with them and they've done tests where they've basically set up lie detectors to plants, right? And they've um, they've recognized that when you had an intention, even in your mind, 
to actually burn a plant, not to just like fake. Oh yeah, like, I read that right? study. Yeah, yeah. So like, it's like it's you like you bring the light lighter towards it or whatever. You bring the lighter towards it with every intention of burning it. Only when you have the true intention, not when you have the fake intention. But in the very instant you have the intention, the plant can register it on as a as a distress signal on the on the polygraph, and I think it may be a special type of polygraph. But the, this book, The Secret Life of Plants, talks a lot about that. But one of the things it talks about is about Findhorn, which is um, this place. And I can go, I'm, for the, I have so much to cover today, so I'm not going to go directly and like very deeply into Findhorn. But one of the things that it talks about, because each chapter is basically about a new thing that is like wakes you up to the secret life of plants, right? And Findhorn is a place in Scotland. And what it was was that there were a group of people who were spiritual seekers back in the late 60s, and they went to this piece of land that was basically barren in northern Scotland. And what they found was that uh, they could communicate with the nature spirits that were in the area, and the nature spirits told them how to make the land fertile, right? It told them how to... Um, how how they get all the horse manure and how to do all these different things with they composting. Were it they or... were channeling it, okay. right? Right. And so what they were doing was that they were actually um, what they they actually started to call themselves channelers because they were able to channel the voices and the guidance of the nature spirits in that particular area. And what ended up happening was this area that was completely, you know, this is the kind of apocryphal version of this, but that you know that the nature spirits that were um, that were there helped them to create this this fertile, lush environment in a place where there was no fertility at all, right? It it basically they worked the the channelers the 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 three people and then what obviously grew into this massive community. They were able to seek the guidance of of nature in order to um, to be able to get their creation what they wanted to do is they wanted to create an intentional community that was lush and full and fulfilled all their needs and nature was like cool this is how you do that right and they work together to be able to do that and so Findhorn right now is a place that you can go it's like a very famous place for people who know about co-creation because it was like the original thing in the early 70s where people were like oh this is this amazing place and this is what they're doing so from there I, I read that and I was like, okay, that's kind of interesting. It piqued my interest. And then and then I started going into herbalism. I had studied herbalism before, but I had never studied it from a very spiritual perspective. And what I did was I started to go into what is called a plant allies kind of curriculum. Um, it was through a woman called Susan Weed, who is a very well-known um, wise woman herbalist. And um, she's a green witch, basically, okay. in America. And um, she had a course, like a correspondence course, because this was that long ago. I mean, it probably wasn't that long ago, but it kind of was. And so she sent, um, in this correspondence course, she basically sent um, a curriculum for how you can become a plant ally, right? Which basically means you make friends with a particular type of herb and you have to try and talk to it and create a relationship with it and like actually see what it can do and like not just read books about what it can do, but actually ask it, what is your talent? Like, what can you give me and what can I give you, Mm -hmm. et cetera. And then in that correspondence course, I got a whole bunch of books in it as well that were all about nature spirits. And so... I did the course and I kind of did it and I did whatever. But one of the books that she sent me was Behaving as if the God in all, matter, the God in all Things Mattered by Michelle Smallwright. 
And this is the book. This was the turning point for me that said, oh my God, I want to do this forever. What it was, was it was a book about this woman's really, really difficult life. Like it's a really, really well-written book. Um, and I'll explain that in a second. But it's a, it's all about her life. And then at the end, she starts to give the instructions and kind of uh, basically describe the hierarchy of how everything works in nature. And one of the things, and so I want to describe that now. Now, so basically, uh, and and I'm going to totally get you to describe this when it comes to phones and things like that too. But the idea that she set out is that every single thing in the world, every single species, we'll, we'll keep it to nature for now, but then we'll extend it into inanimate, inanimate objects that are man-made. But that every single thing that exists, every single species has an overlighting deva. So there is an overlighting deva of carrots. Can you explain what deva is? I will. <laughs> um, a deva is a Buddhist term for a lesser god. To In Theravadan Buddhism, as well as actually Maitreyan Buddhism, Tibetan Buddhism, I believe that um, they devas are basically these things that is very well acknowledged in those kind of more mystical versions of Buddhism. Um, in fact, actually in Thailand, they they present altars. They have altars outside of all of their houses. Like the Buddhist people have altars, and they put offerings every single day because they are feeding the devas. Right? They're basically giving the offering of um, because it's not expected that humans eat it, but the fate, like all the elementals and all the things with nature, that is an offering that they have to there. So it's a very strong part of Buddhism that's less into the kind of Buddhism that Anna and I talk about, and more into the kind of um, cultural Buddhism, and and other mystical forms of Buddhism. So a deva is a lesser godlike entity, basically is what it is. It's one of the lesser gods. And so overlighting is just a fancy word to say, I am the lesser god that's in charge of all carrots. Or I am the lesser god that is in charge of all rats. So then when you have nature spirits, you're Nature spirits are basically in charge of each individual carrot. So you have an overlighting deva that's in charge of all the carrots. And then you have a nature spirit, a, a whole slew of them really, that kind of look after the entire carrot while it's there. So if you're having an issue with a plant growing in your yard that you don't like, for instance, so like if you have a whole slew of wisteria, which we have right now, it's blooming and it's amazing, but it's going everywhere all over this one hill. And if we decide that we don't necessarily want that wisteria to be there, then I would need to sit down and contact, and I'll get into this a little bit later too, into more detail, but I would need to sit down and contact the overlighting deva of wisteria, as well as the nature spirits in charge of this particular bit of wisteria, and either to talk to them and say, hey, do you think maybe you could stop strangling the trees around here? And do you think maybe you could just like go to right. this area and we won't try to control you? Um, so getting into inanimate objects, Anna, do you want to explain your relationship that you have with your phone? We've kind of mentioned it on the, in the past, but I, I would love to, um, oh. cause this is a similar thing, your phone and your, um, well, it kind of goes back to Louise Hay when I was reading, um, you can heal your life by Louise Hay. She says that like all your electronic devices, like all, everything in your life is an extension of yourself. Mm -hmm. And when I was a college student, and living off of student loans and like very low budget, I had this thing where like my electronics would constantly be breaking on me and needing to be replaced. It was like this endless source of like fucking debt, you know, like my car would suddenly have something wrong with it and this would have something wrong with it and this would have to get replaced. And I noticed that like 
I had this strong belief in lack. This was before I had my huge like abundance wake up call and really manifest and believe in abundance for my life. And I decided I was going to change my relationship with electronics in my life. So I got in my car and I had a good conversation and I'm like, you need to stop breaking down. Every time you break down, I need to replace you. It costs money. Let's be friends. And I just had a good talk with my car. My car stopped breaking down. Like it stopped having problems. In fact, the current car that I have right now, my car, my current car is like 10 years old. It had to have its alternator replaced and I've gotten the the monthly or and I've gotten my regular oil changes. It's never fucking given me any problems that car yeah. because I have this relationship with it. I have the relationship with my phone too. Like my phone has a consciousness and I befriend it. And I just got my phone replaced because I dropped the other one. But um, I have this relationship also with my phone where I'm just like, you know what? You are an extension of me. And hey, I want you to do me a favor. You have access to all my bank accounts. Bring the money in. Like bring money in to me. Mm-hmm. And when I did that, when I like consciously connected with my phone and told it like you need to start bringing me in more money, it, I started recovering like 12-month-old insurance payout. There was like one year of like insurance payouts that were owed to me, but they were like lost in the Medicare system because the Medicare system is like this very antiquated computer software system in the government, you know. Yeah. And I just kept being like, okay, phone, figure it out, figure it out. And like, sure enough, I started getting a lot of direct deposits. Yep. Yep. And and so with inanimate objects, one of the things that Michelle Small writes talks about in this book um, is, and what... That they have a consciousness, They too. have a consciousness, right? If they exist, they have a consciousness. Right. So any time that any human goes to create something, whether it is a garden or an alternator in a car or a car itself, basically you get assigned a co-creating partner, whether you're aware of it or not. Right. So you get assigned a overlighting deva of blank. And I've, I've always kind of wondered this and I've never I've always wondered. I'm like, do they just have like a whole bunch of unemployed overlighting devas or is your act of creation actually just creating it I out of the ether? I think they're just creating them. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe they were created. I don't know. I don't know. That's one of the questions I haven't actually answered. Um, and she doesn't she may answer this in this book. But and so when you're making friends with your car. I make friends with my car's tires all the time because I have this intrusive thought about um, getting my tires blown up on that, like my tires blowing up in the middle of the yeah. highway. And so every single long trip that I go on, I usually spend about five or 10 minutes when I'm bored just talking to the tires. Oh, I talk to my car all the time. Yeah. Thank you for keeping me safe. I yep. love you. Yep. And it was so interesting because the car that uh, we bought a truck recently and there were some really weird things with it. And I didn't, I'm usually like heavily involved in the car buying process because I know more about cars than Luke does. And this one was weird because like I was so busy. There was so much going on. We were just about to move and, and Luke had just been doing all this car buying. And he was like, I want to show you this car because I want to buy it. And I was like, yeah, sure. This seems okay. But then when we got it, I just kept thinking it was a lemon. And there was this weird like blood. I feel like somebody had like put blood on the, dashboard and on the steering wheel like that someone had cut their finger and they just hadn't bothered there was just like so many things that just like gave me the wrong feeling about it and I literally went to town one day with Lyra and it was supposed to just be a really quick trip to like pick up some stuff for the garden and the oil pressure 
light came oh, on. Oh, I remember that. Right? Sick. And I just started flipping out because oil pressure is like one of those things that like, you know, if, if you don't deal with it, then you could blow up your engine and completely total your car. Um, and I, I called all these mechanics in town and they were all busy. And um, they basically were like, it's a, uh, it, you know, Chevy's, their gauges go off normally, but like Ford's that almost never happens. So there was all this uncertainty I had. And I finally just like, I finally came to a point where I had to calm down enough. I put a quart of oil in it and I was just like, this is it. I just have to be okay with this. And I have to make friends with this truck because I think this truck is a lemon and it is proving itself a lemon to me. Because you told it was. Because I told it that it was. Yeah. Right? right? Like it totally told it that it was. And so, you know, when it comes to these things, like when it comes to, and, and I'll get obviously more, I'll, I'll do a summary of the steps for how you can work and co-create, which firstly is the acknowledgement that, that everything has this kind of nature spirit it has multiple levels to it, right? It has it has the overlighting deva of the person who designed the original alter- alternator because that was the creation. It has the overlighting deva of the of the factory where the transmission was created, right? And it has the um, and then it has the nature spirits that are looking after all the different parts of it. So it's like when you get into it, it's really crowded in that field. There's a lot of stuff going on in all these different levels, right? That you can get access to and talk to. Um, or even just, even if you can't hear them, you can talk to them and acknowledge that they exist and they can start working for you. Because one of the things, the most important fundamental thing of all co-creation is balance. Nature wants balance more than anything else in the anything, right? So when you ask nature for help, it will always tell you the answer that gives you balance. All right. So that's like the most important thing that you can remember about all of nature is balance, balance, balance. And so, you know, one of my journeys through reading this book and some of the cool stories that they have in this book, for instance, I'll tell you a cool story is like Michelle Small Wright's husband had to cut down a tree and he went out into the middle of the woods and he started cutting down a tree. And as it was falling, it started falling in the wrong direction, like completely the wrong direction, like almost to like hit him. And he had to be like, no, don't fall that way. And he said that the tree changed his course mid mid fall and fell in the place that it was supposed to basically avoided killing him because he was just like so strongly like don't don't fall on me like whatever but he killed it and it was still kind to him well that's the thing though is is that maybe her husband it, he didn't really explain it but like it was like after that moment he actually believed that what his wife was doing was real you know what uh. i mean like it was like almost like his his validation for whatever was real and that's that's where it comes down to like sometimes you know for me, when I started, I kind of just was like, I believe all these people that all this stuff is here. I believe that that I can talk to all these things, but I couldn't hear anything, right? I knew how to muscle test, which is a diagnostic thing, which was kind of what I started to do. But it was a really, really long process, right? Like it was such a long process. I had to be like, okay, so should the plant go here? And I would get a no. Should the plant go here? And I would get a no. And then I tried to start doing grids and I tried to start doing all these different things to ask the deva where I'm supposed to put things. But then I would just be like, do you actually really care? And then they'd be like, no, we don't really care. You can, as long as you put it in this area. And it was a really kind of tough time consuming process. I want to talk, Anna, I want to give you a chance now, since I've been talking a lot to talk about some of your experiences with nature. You were talking to me about cockroaches, right? Well, yeah, it's funny because I am like, I have a black thumb. I'm terrible with plants. I say that it's because 
And from the desert, I think it actually has a little more karmic stuff to do with it than just that. And I won't, I'll go into that on another day, but, or maybe I won't. (laughs) But um, I have a black thumb and I don't connect well with nature spirits regarding plants. I do a really good job with electronics and as well as insects. I'll give you two examples of like how I've communicated with nature spirits regarding insects. One is when I used to volunteer annually in Valdosta, Georgia at these farm worker health camps. And at the end of the day, everyone would be covered in welts of mosquito bites because it was like Southern Georgia in the middle of the farm. And before going out to the farm to provide the free medical services, me or all my colleagues would slather themselves in bug repellent and DEET. And I refused. I would, they're like, do you want it? I'm like, no, I refuse to wear bug repellent because I think that DEET and all those other stuff has way more toxins in it than the mosquito saliva. So I would be like, no, no thanks. They're like, you're going to be covered in, in bugs. And I'm like, no, I'm not, but whatever. I made an agreement with the mosquitoes. And I told them, I'm like, hey guys, you are more than welcome to suck all my blood. Don't really care. Just don't give me malaria. Don't give me any kind of diseases. And don't leave me those little welts. Like you can take my blood. You don't have to add that that weird stuff that makes your skin puff. The histamine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was like, you can just take my blood. I don't care. Just don't give me those little red marks. I kid you not, at the end of the day, even the pe- the people who were are covered in DEET, would come back with welts of mosquito bites. I had nothing. My skin was perfectly fine. I had no remnants of mosquito bites. Could we say like, oh, Anna is immune to mosquito bites? I don't think so because when my childhood, I would get mosquito bites and they would be red and irritated. I would come home and my skin was perfectly normal. I don't know if anyone in that group ever caught on that like Anna's the only one not getting mosquito bites and she's also the only one not wearing DEET. I didn't want to draw attention to myself because I was in the spiritual closet at that time. And I didn't want to be like, well, hey, guys, it's because I've been communicating with the mosquitoes and I made an agreement. (laughs) So that's one example. Another example is I lived in a very old or 100-year-old historic house in Atlanta. And there was a lot of cockroaches. Uh, It's Atlanta. It's humid. Even though my husband hired exterminators, there were but there was they're, roaches they're, and they're it's called just, they're called palmetto bugs too because they're literally like the ha- size of half your finger and they fly at you in the middle of the night and it's like it's terrifying they're you, called palmetto bugs which is like the best euphemism ever for like giant bug that flies at your face it, they're they're just enormous in atlanta and coming from new mexico was a little bit of a shocker but anyways when i got to the house i again i made a negotiation with them and i made an announcement in the house i walked all over the house saying okay guys you were here before me and you're fine to live here. I don't ever want to see you and I don't ever want to see remnants of you. That means I don't want to see your poop and I don't want to see your eggs. Thank you very much. I never saw cockroaches in that house. Mm -hmm. I never freaking saw cockroaches. Fast forward to our current house, which is a new build. Mm -hmm. And I made the same negotiation in my new house, which is a new build. And I'm like, hey, everybody, I'm going to make you a deal. You can live here, but I don't ever want to see you. I don't want to see remnants of you. And if I do see you, I'm going to kill you. That's our agreement. But guess what? They, I still see them. And I'm like, what is different about this house than the other house? And I was telling Christina this last night. I think I figured it out. It's because my children don't have the same agreement. My children don't kill them when they see them. My children just scream. And so I think because my children haven't consciously made the agreement with the roach, the roach god or the roach deva, yeah. 
that they're, they're still showing up in our house. So I realized like when I go home tonight, I'm going to walk around the house with my kids and we're all going to negotiate with the cockroach God <laughs> or the cockroach Deva, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And I bet you I will not be seeing roaches anymore. And anyone listening to this might think this woman is nuts. She's speaking to cockroach Devas. Try it. Believe in magic. Believe in the unseen. Even if I'm wrong, I promise you, it makes life so much more interesting. <laughs> I love that, right? I, I have to say, when I first started this, I, I found it difficult to get the feedback that I needed to be able to feel like it was real. And uh, one of the things that I lived on was I lived on this place called Wild Grace, and um, it was full of nature spirits, right? Like, it, the, the nature spirits were everywhere, and and yet I, I couldn't see them and I couldn't get the feedback that I was normally getting from other psychic things. This was before my daughter was born. So it was like before I was like more open to the channels. But like I remember um, the woman whose property it was, she was like when we first move in, she's like there are two fae folk, right, who um, and I'll tell you in a second about kind of what I consider this elemental fae world. But there are two fae folk who live in the chicken coop, right, because we lived in a yurt next to the chicken coop. And they're like, and one of them's name's George, and the other one just likes to collect letters. But like the the her name is is unpronounceable. And for years, I was just like, I would walk into the chicken coop because we had chickens in there eventually, and I would just be like, "Hey guys, I hope you're still here." Like I would just kind of be like, I didn't I didn't know that they were there. I couldn't sense them at that time. I wasn't even like checking in on that wavelength but I was just like I'm just gonna acknowledge it like even if I can't see this and it was only years later when I had moved off of the property I was walking through the woods like I was walking to a next door property to spend the night because I was there for a retreat and and I was walking down the road and it was dark and I didn't have a flashlight and I didn't have a phone it was basically pitch black and I'm sitting here walking in the middle of this dirt road and completely by myself with woods stretching on either side of me for however long you want, right? Um, there may have been like a little bit of light. And all of a sudden, George, the fae folk, popped up next to me. <laughs> and I was like, I lived here for five years and I never met you. And he's like, yeah, well, I could tell that you were scared. So I just wanted to like pop in here and do this. And it was like, it was in my consciousness, but I could kind of see him in the dark too. Like it was like one of the first times I could have actually seen something. And it was such a nice moment to be like, after all this time and being told that you're there to then have him actually show up and walk me home, like be my escort home was so amazing. Like it it felt so good to, to actually have that be that experience. And then, you know, other times now they'll just like pop into my consciousness like rat. Oh my God. The overlighting Deva of rats is like an R-O-U-S if you've ever watched The Princess Bride, a rat of unusual size that is literally like bigger than, it's like acres and acres big. It is like the biggest rat you could ever imagine. Like it's just, it's monstrous. And she's just got a million teats with like a million different rats falling off of her. And she's like, she's like one of the rat kings. Have you guys ever seen the rat kings where you have like the mess of rat tails that are like all yeah, put yeah. together? And, and it's like where the original Nutcracker Ballet, that rat king came from, was like a conglomerate of rats. That's exactly what the overlighting deva of rats looks like. Right. And so you can just have these really interesting things when you start. And I often had dreams of them first. So I wouldn't I wouldn't have them in meditation or anything like that. I dreamt of a carrot and she talked to me and she took me swimming. 
Like that was like my first experience with like actually seeing one of these devas once I acknowledged their presence and once I started working with them. It took years though. It you took what, years. Similar. Um, I was in Nepal and I visited a shaman. This is kind of like a very interesting side note. And I went to this place and I got there and it was like the craziest way to get there fucking crazy and when I got there the shaman was like I know you were destined to come because you actually found this property like it is so freaking hard to find but you know the village people kind of helped direct me yada yada I get there and he was the he was like the main shaman and he had um two two other shamans below him he, he was the main shaman and then he had two other shamans working with him mm-hmm. and then it was a school of European people who had come to do a workshop to, in, to go undergo shamanic training and I had come to have something removed from me, some paranormal experience. Yep. Another day. Another, another day. Another story, another day. And I came to him and we were just talking and I'm like, well, where did you learn, you know, your shaman training? He goes, well, my father and his father and da 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 He's a big lineage of shamans training all the way down, son to son or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, he, and the same with this other man. This other man there also got his training from his father, grandfather, da 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 all the way back. And then he's like, and this one, it was a woman. She laid down in a tree in the forest. She was just a regular person, laid down on the tree. The tree transmitted all the shamanic information to her, that she became like a full-blown shaman priestess, came back. She knows everything that these men know, but no one, ta- no human taught her. Wow. Isn't that cool? <laughs> that is so cool. That is so cool. Um, so... I want to talk briefly about kind of... uh, It's not a carrot swimming, but it's similar. (laughs) It's similar, right? Well, that's the thing. And that to me... Okay, so... So the stuff that you do in your mind, I call, I call like, it's like, it's like your divine masculine meditative practice, right? Because it happens within your mind, right? Like you can go, there are higher worlds that you can go to within your own mind. Um, And that's like a totally different subject but basically the way i think of it is that there's a whole bunch of different realms and there's a whole bunch of different subtle worlds that we can't see and the one that we have basically shuttered out in every way that we can possibly do by having houses and by um buying stuff at a grocery store as opposed to growing it and like everything that you can this world has been so shuttered out of western culture's normal world that like it is such a magical thing to feel a kinship with nature and be like, oh my god, all this shit exists. Like it's amazing, right? It's like it's not shit. <laughs> it's not shit, right? It's not shit. It's like, well, it is. It is. It's it's like it's life, birth, death. I think of yeah, it yeah, as yeah. I think of it as like the divine ma- feminine of of the spiritual practice, right? Like of your of the external environment and like the higher worlds. The divine feminine is the one that the unseen that exists outside in nature. Um, like just anything, anything that you perceive with your eyes, anything that you perceive to be outside of you or you think is not you is like a table or is a tree or whatever. And, um, and so in this world, there are a number of different species. Okay. And so I'm going to call the kingdom, the elemental kingdom, right? If you want to think of this whole area in which you have all of these different creatures and a lot of them come from mythology, but the most important thing I've ever mythology ta- comes from them. Or mythology <laughs> comes from them, right? But there are a lot of the words you like, you know, kids' stories are 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 saturated in this, right? Because this is magic. This is the type of magic that that kids feel amenable to, but it's real. Like it's and that's what I think it's it almost feels like by bringing it up with kids, 
adults think that it's less real. They think, oh, it's just it's just whatever magic and they write it off without Mm -hmm. recognizing that the kids are actually able to to tap into this in different ways. So there are a number of different species. um, And I won't get into all the hierarchies because I could literally talk about that for hours. um, But. I was talking about the overlighting devas and the nature spirits. So there are also fey folk, which basically exist in a ultra dimensional realm, right? Um, and they, you know, you go back to mythology and the Irish have like the queen of the fey and the fey will steal. There'll be changelings, right? They'll basically, fey would take a baby that was going to die anyway and change it out with a fey baby. And that fey baby would then be raised by humans even though it was fey and there's like all sorts of things around the fey folk um and the thing is is that when you get into this nature realm evil and good don't really exist Mm -hmm. because it's all about balance Balance. Mm -hmm. right so if there is it's not like if there's a whole bunch of good then you're gonna get evil it's more along the lines of of like one of the things there's a couple of rules when it comes to the fey you're never supposed to say thank you you're, Why? Uh, it's, these are all just I saw like, that on TikTok and I don't understand you? it. Yeah, yeah. So basically the idea is that the fey, everything is about balance. So if you say thank you to a fey person, you're you're implying that they gave you something. So then you have to give them something. You see what I'm saying? Okay, so very right? transactional. It's very, very transactional in that sense, right? So it's like with the fey folk in particular, there's a lot of mythology about how to be careful because there are, quote unquote, what we would consider malevolent fey, right? Or what we would consider whatever. And so, you know, I don't think of them as, I think of them as just people who you have to coexist with and you have to do that. But, you know, one of the things in my journey, which I won't really get into as much today because um, for the length of the episode and everything like that, was that, you know, I remember you were there the moment that I figured out that I was a lot of fae. Yeah. I had no idea. I literally, for years, I did this co-creation work and I never thought that it was me. I never thought that I was like an elemental. I was always just like, oh, whatever, you know. I even had psychics. I had psychics telling me that I was an elemental. And how rare it was in particular to be the type of elemental that I was. And I was like, nah, I don't believe that. Like, I just, it just, it wasn't even a thing. And so when I finally acknowledged that I had a fair amount of fey in me, which a lot of people on earth do, my relationship with nature changed because it became less about me being a human co-creating and it became more about like me recognizing that I already had a lot of the ingrained knowledge that I needed to be able to do stuff. So I still co-create in the traditional way. And I will, again, I, I'm not going to take those steps out. Go ahead. Can I ask a question for someone like me or a listener who is very distant from nature? Mm-hmm. I, I just, like I said, I, I connect great with insects, animals, and electronics but like i kill every plant what are some like concrete tools we can use to make our food healthier or Mm -hmm. keep plants alive like what what can you tell us no or or am i distracting you no no you're not distracting me at all no that's great um i can totally transition into that because one of the things that i wanted to actually talk about with pets in particular everybody in the world like the elemental is trying to reach everybody because everybody needs more divine feminine in their life at this point. We have a mass unbalance of too much divine masculine energy in the higher realms Mm -hmm. and not enough divine feminine. So pets are literally nature's answer to that. Pets and houseplants, 
right? Well, yeah, and there's plenty of data to show that pets increase your life expectancy, lower your blood pressure. Exactly. Decrease they, depression. They bring the nature, they bring nature into your house in a, in a palatable format. I love it. Right? And so if you have a great relationship with pets, you don't maybe need to extend to house plants. You know what I mean? Like, right. like maybe you're not needing to actually try and become good at house plants. But if you want to become good at house plants, I just want healthier food in my garden, really. Yeah, right. Okay, so so we'll 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 cover that one in a second. With house plants in particular, if you want to go that, I a lot of people start small, and they keep telling themselves, "I'm going to kill this thing. I'm going to kill this thing." I'm gonna, and so so that's the last thing that you want to do because you're basically creating a mantra that the plant will listen to because <laughs> it can tell based on its primal sense whether or not you feel whatever. So the question that you just ask yourself. And it's the thing is, is that when you start to quiet your mind, even if you don't have a quiet mind, if you ask a question of a plant, it will tell you the answer. And it will tell you the answer usually in an instinctual format. So if you look at a plant and you see that its leaves are are drooping because it doesn't have enough water, like that's a very easy visual cue that it needs water. But if it's before that time and you're trying and you haven't checked the soil or do anything like that, like just be like, just, just practice. Just be like, do you need water? And you will usually get an instinct that says yes or no. And I'm, and I'm not kidding because it is a different, it is different than a normal psychic sense. It is louder than a normal psychic sense in my experience. And so if you just try that, just try, you know, you can read up on everything that you want that says that with your particular type of Drusena plant, um, if you, 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 the, when the first inch becomes dry, you should, you should water it. You can be very logical about it or try this other thing and try and just like develop your instinct as to whether or not something needs something like, are you hungry? Do you need some plant food? Um, do you need, do you have enough sun where you are? And you can ask all these questions and you just quiet your mind and it becomes this little micro meditation when it comes to getting more nutrition out of your garden. Uh, it really is. Um, they there's an old saying that says the best um, the best uh, fertilizer is the gardener's feet, because the your presence, the gardener's feet, the gardener's feet, um, because the gardener paying attention to the plants is by far one of the best ways to create nutritionally dense food. So, so like, like what I had said in one of the previous episodes of like watering the plant with your hands gives mm-hmm. them your DNA. Yep. Yep, it's similar to that. So in the book, The Celestine Prophecy by James Redfield, which I've talked about numerous times, it's a gateway book. Um, the third insight, he goes to a farm and there are people whose job it is to meditate on the food all day. That's cool. Right? That's they literally really good they, food. And they really sit there and they make it as nutritionally dense as possible. What you can do, because we don't always have the ability to just sit there and put all of our energy into food all the time is that you go every day and you just say, I'm grateful for you. Right. I'm grateful for you. Thank you so much for doing this. And then you charge the nature spirits with doing that same thing, right. With creating Mm -hmm. nutritionally dense food. And the gratitude thing is one I really want to touch on too, because remember I talked about it earlier in the episode about how you, when you cut into a head of lettuce or when something is plowing, you're or getting even when this... you're about to eat, you pray. I mean, you say thank you, grace. Well, exactly. So what ends up ha- what they did in all these experiments? What they found was the only thing that counteracted the cutting of the cells that caused them to have all this stress was gratitude. If you said thank you so much for your life as you were cutting into that head of lettuce, it didn't react. It didn't scream. It didn't scream. Wow. So so infusing. So one more reason why we quote unquote should 
say grace or or say thank you for our food. Exactly. It's oh like gosh. a remnant. It's a remnant thank you for of this. this. Thank you for this. And it's funny because I did just say don't say thank you to Faithhook, which is kind of a different thing. In well, Faithhook can like, be malicious. Right. And and what I'm talking about is I'm talking about the product of, of it. You're not you're not saying thank you. And the Fay folk are different than the elementals of the the nature spirits and the overlighting davis and stuff like that. But you know, saying thank you for the product of something that has been co-created, right? Because whether you like it or not, it's been co-created. Um, whether you're aware of it or not, it's been co-created because it would not exist in this world if it had not had creation. Creation. Um, uh, acknowledging the product and being grateful for that is something that makes it so that it makes all the sacrifice that it, the the thing goes through better. So. Quick tips here at the very end about how you can contact and how you can start your steps towards co-creation. I told you guys some stuff with houseplants, told you with 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 um, gardening. With gardening. So, I told you about insects. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what uh, what the process is really simple. When you want to create, say that you want to create a garden, you sit down and you meditate and you say, "Can I please?" It, it, you don't. You sit down and you get in a quiet space and you basically say, I want to contact the overlighting deva of this garden that I want to create. And you just sit there. And you can sit there and you may or may not feel it or you may or not do whatever. But oftentimes what happens and what happened to me was that you could actually feel that there was a different presence there. That, that it just felt a little bit different. And so what you then do is you get your piece of paper and you start and you say very clearly, this is my intention for this garden. I want this garden to be full of nutritionally dense food. I want it to be pest free. I want it to be, uh, I want to get this perfect, much yield. Perfect nutrition for my body. Perfect nutrition for my body. You have to be exceptionally clear, right? So in other kinds of manifestation, we talk about, don't, you, you know, uh, clarity being important. This being clear and exactly what you tend to create and what you want is so, so important because elementals will will fill in the gaps for the things that you're not acknowledging and will create balance no matter what because you're creating the intention of wanting to do this. And so like if you forget to say I want a certain like they'll create nutritionally dense food, but if you can't eat it, you know, like and deer eat it like for right. me, like, you, you know, it's like create nutritionally dense food and then all the deer come and eat it and you're like well it was really nutritionally dense but it wasn't nutritionally dense and i was able to eat it (laughs) you know what i mean to eat so the specificity is very very important when co-creating anything so you basically write down incredibly clear instructions for clarity and then what you do is you find if you can like if you have a pendulum crystal or if you have a ability to muscle test or if you just want to be quiet and think yes no answers you basically just ask it questions, draw out a schematic of what it's going to look like. And then you say, yes, no, yes, no. Should I put them here? Where should I place the garden in the in the yard? Mm-hmm. Things like that. And you basically just go through a process of asking yes, no questions. And you say, and when you're, you're kind of writing out your intention, you can also say, I want to grow corn, okra, and um, collards. Really Southern stuff here, right? Um, but, you know, you can do, you can go down to that level and they will help you to co-create that. Then throughout the growing process, you basically will check in all the time. 
you will check in all the time and you will say, do you want, um, uh, should, uh, you know, should I water you in the morning for the next week or should I not? Like you can get as detailed as you want. Sometimes you forget about it and sometimes whatever, but there is a lot of the time when you need to intervene in the middle of a season or in the middle of a creation to make sure everything's good. And let's just, I just want to, for anyone listening and they don't know how to get a clear yes or no, Mm -hmm. if you don't feel the yes or no, we will put a link in the show notes, how to get a pendulum. Mm-hmm. Or and how and or how to do muscle testing to get your yes or no because some people listening to this might be like well I don't even know how to hear the yes or the no yeah so we'll put that yep. in the show notes and and it's got a lot of really good stuff for that so final example the entire book behaving as if the God of, in all things mattered was co created she literally asked what would should be on the cover she asked what the name should be she asked everything and what is the right? name of it uh, behaving as if the God in all things mattered I love that name. Um, she runs her entire business co-created. She like at her business meeting table is her, her employees and the nature spirits. Nothing happens without asking nature spirits in every single thing that she does. She's taken it to to the ultimate, right? But she's also if you read the book, you can she's also capable of managing manifesting shovels out of thin air. So like she's got a different level of 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 relationship but you know there's no limit to how you can create put co-creation into your life and how you can involve it so so we should thank our podcast deva we should totally thank our podcast deva brilliant idea as a way to yeah finish so why don't we end up the ep- end this episode by saying thank you podcast deva for bringing us this spiritual fix and w- as you bring it to us we bring it to the universe yes our little aquarian baby this spiritual fix thank you for that Help us to achieve balance. Help us to achieve the the level that people who need and so that it can reach and go tether through all the things so the people who need to hear this right yeah. now are hearing it. Let it let it get to the ears that are ready for it and who are wanting to hear it. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Podcast Ava. Thank you, Podcast Ava. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of this spiritual fix. Please like us on TikTok at This Spiritual Fix if you want to hear more about this. We'll have a couple of follow-up TikToks about this. And be sure to like us and rate us on iTunes so that people can find us. Have a great day. And remember, humility, gratitude, acceptance, done. Let me tell y'all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it, and all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover.